welcome to Kingwood United Methodist Church. Thank you for joining us today. Wherever you're listening from and whatever service you're listening to, we strongly believe because of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, there is always more to life. We are in a series about callings and discerning how we can understand God's call on our lives. Last week, it was looking at the call of the disciples where Jesus calls the first four disciples and he calls them by name. And there are times in our lives when we know that God has called us by name. But I want to stack another story of God's calling that has far more mystery to it. And I chose the book of Esther. And the book of Esther is, is a book that never mentions the name of God. There is never a prayer in the book of Esther. Um, It is literally a narrative book that almost shows the plot and the twist. It is a word of encouragement to the Jewish people because it's all about the moment at which underneath the leadership of one individual, all of the Jews in Persia were um, to be exterminated, literally. It was the first, the the genocide that was just going to happen. Today is celebrated. Now, that didn't happen because of Esther. We're going to unpack why. But if you were in the festival of Purim in, in, in Jerusalem, and it happens in late February, kind of early March, you know how our Ash Wednesday and Easter sort of fluctuate with the calendar. So Purim will move a few weeks this way or that. But there's usually a festival. Uh, when we were there uh, two years ago, we actually saw many of the kids dressed up as our second trip before the pandemic hit. Um, we saw the festival happening. They would bring everybody in. You would be dressed up. They would have, um, this is an oversimplification, but in the same way that we sort of dress up for Halloween per se, I mean, they dress up, but the difference is they know the characters and you've got Esther dressed in very elaborate ways and whatnot, but they would retell the story of God's deliverance. And when they retell the story of God's deliverance, people in the, in the congregation would already be prepared to hiss and boo when they heard the name Haman, because he's the villain in this story, and children would be given little noisemakers. So we're going to try this, all right? Imagine, now I know this is going to be really difficult for some of you because you don't have affiliations for the maroon. I understand, okay? So this is just, this is not asking you to abandon your own alumni, but I want you to summons that inner feeling you would have if you were cheering for the Aggies or did, and then suddenly Alabama went ahead. Okay, can you get that feeling in your head? Smooth, right? So, Haman, smooth. Now, I'd have to read six chapters of Scripture for you to do that all the time. But I think it's important because we're only going to focus on a few verses here to set the stage. So anytime you hear the name Haman, come on, give me some booze too. Boo. There we go. Haman's the bad guy. Haman's the bad guy. Here's why. You've got King Xerxes, who's king of Persia. The Jews have been taken in exile. And Haman, there we go. That's very good. He is really upset with a Jew named Mordecai because Mordecai won't bow and Haman 
runs around as the chief advisor in his flowing robes and wants everybody to bow to him. So go back in your memory biblically of Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who would not kneel, right? Whose wonderful words in Daniel chapter 3, we shall not kneel before your stature, and even if our God does not deliver us, even if, we will not bow. Mordecai continues this. Now, Mordecai is basically uh, the caretaker and the caregiver for Esther, who is our central character after which the book is named. So in order to get back at all the Jews, Haman basically gets King Xeres to decide to sign an edict, but it's one of the shifty things. You think what happens in Washington, D.C. or Parliament in Europe started with us? No, it goes way back. With the power that he had, he manipulated things, and King Xeres unintentionally signs an edict. It goes out to all the officials that on a certain day, everyone in Persia is to rise up and kill all the Jews around him and plunder and take all their possessions. But there's a ripple here. You see, Esther was beautiful. And, and Esther somehow, with the work of God, wins the beauty contest of Persia and becomes the queen of Xeres. And so now she is in a position of influence. So when you read the book of Esther, you, you look at it as a narrative and you see the absolute contrast of a God who may not be named but is moving in and through circumstances and the way that things sort of flip on their ear. Because the end of the story, Haman is actually the one who, hey, God, see, you're going, that's good. I was going to go a little quicker that time, you know, yeah. He actually, his plot is discovered later. Here's the turning point. The turning point is that, and why we want to look at Esther, is that Esther gets into that place of becoming the queen. Now, I don't know about you, but if you get in a place of becoming the queen, I bet life's going to look a little different than an exiled Jew. It's a place of comfort. Uh, where you used to serve others and scramble for food, people wait and serve you. Uh, you want for nothing, and so it's all comfortable. Every one of us has that Esther kind of part of our life in the world in which we live today. We live with comforts. And we live in places where we don't, aren't challenged for much. Now, it doesn't mean that everything's perfect. I'm not saying your relationships are absolutely fantastic and that I'm the only one that has a perfect grandchild and the rest of you have just sort of little wannabes, right? Life is still fraught with struggles. Boo! Yeah. We'll have a little picture show off later. I mean, I've got David James in the pumpkin patch yesterday, so it'll be like a game of spades. I'll see you and raise you, uh, my grandson in the pumpkin patch. Yeah, from a recent grandparent. Oh, come on, you got nothing. So, And Purvis Harper is ready to deal. He knows, so is Lynn. But that place of comfort. Now, a lot of times we'll see this passage, you're going to hear Mordecai's going to say this phrase in a moment we're going to read. He's going to say, could it be that you've been, you, you've been called to a place like this for such a time as this, or you've come to this place? This word in the Hebrew, come, it means you have arrived, right? You've been placed. It's such a time as this. But so often the way that's nuanced is a sense of, uh, of, of I've, I've achieved and, and I can do something. And I want to unpack that image when we think about how God calls us and what we hear. 
So a lot of these names you're not even going to hear. But in the background, this plot has been set forth by Haman. Mordecai hears about it. we got a messenger going back and forth. And now the word comes to Esther. And this is the turning point that Esther's going to have to make a decision. So in respect to God's word, if you all would please stand for the reading of the scripture. We'll read from Esther chapter 4, verses 12 through 17. Now what I'm going to do is I am going to... um, pause and you are going to um, read verse 14 and we're going to read that all together. Okay? And I'll pause so you can do that together. Starting verse 12, when Esther's words were reported to Mordecai, and basically you're going to hear what those words were, uh, Mordecai sends back this answer. And what Esther said was, look, I, I don't know. I can't do this. I can't go see the king. I can't do what you're asking. It's too great a risk. Sorry. I can't do it. So when Mordecai hears that, he sends back this answer. Do not think that because you are the king's house, you of all alone of the Jews will escape. Now let's all read verse 14. For if you remain silent at this time, relief and deliverance for the Jews will arise from another place. But you and your father's family will perish. And who knows, but that you have come to your royal position for such a time as this. Verse 15 continues, Then Esther sent this reply to Mordecai, Go gather all the Jews who are in Susa and fast for me. Do not eat or drink for three days, night or day. And I and my attendants will fast as you do. And when this is done, I will go to the king, even though it is against the law. And if I perish, I perish. So Mordecai went away and carried out all of Esther's instructions. This is the word of God for you and me, the people of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. And as you are, uh, let's bow together for prayer. May your spirit, O God, stand between me and your people so that the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts together will be shaped, formed, and molded into the good news of your gospel. For we are your people. We seek to become kingdom bearers in this world, and we will leave this place to be the hands in the heart of Christ. And all of God's people said, Amen. Thanks again for joining us for today's message. We will return to the sermon in a moment, but first, we would like to ask for you to rate, share, and subscribe to our podcast. We believe God is doing some amazing things here at KUMC, and your feedback helps our church to reach new listeners that we wouldn't otherwise be able to reach. Now, let's get back to the work. The first time Esther hears about Mordecai in his plight, he's in sackcloth and ashes, and basically it rubs Esther so wrong. She says, that can't be, it can't be. Go, go get some good, put some good clothes on Mordecai. 
That's sort of the pretext of finding out what's happening with this plot and what Esther would have to put at risk. And she wants to clothe Mordecai, but the problem is Mordecai is wrapping himself in the reality that things are not like they need to be and something is coming. And he's doing all that he can. He literally goes right up to the king's gate. You can't miss him. He's a well-known character. He's in sackcloth and ashes. It would have got everybody's attention. The silent hero that God uses in Esther's life is Mordecai. He's sort of the lesser voice. He's sort of the, the Ananias, as Ananias was to Paul when he went to him on the street called Straight and lifted and put his hands and scales removed from his eyes. And we hear all kinds of St. Paul churches, but we don't hear many Ananias churches. But without Ananias being faithful, yes, God could have called somebody else, but celebrate the lesser figure here who made a huge impact. And this is what Mordecai is, a, a bit of a lesser figure. Esther gets the bulk of what is here, and it is Mordecai who sends this incredibly stirring and amazing and profoundly uh, moving speech that you spoke the words to. Now, I want you to think for a moment, the entire fate of people rests on what couple of sentences you could offer. And the best that Mordecai could do, it's almost like he's channeling his Jonah. Jonah, the prophet, who can only say, okay, God, I'm here, I'm in Nineveh. Hey, Nineveh, 40 days, and if you don't repent, you perish. There, God, I did it, okay? That's all that Jonah's great message is, and all of Nineveh repents. Uh, Mordecai has this message. Hey, don't think just because of where you sit, everything's going to be wonderful. I mean, if you don't do this, deliverance will arise for us from another place. Who knows? Maybe you have come, maybe you have arrived, maybe you've been placed there for such a time as this. That's it. This postulating moment that Mordecai offers moves Esther's heart. And while we love to think about the imagery of being placed at such a time to have a positive influence in the world, what Esther risked was her very life. Because what she was going to do is go into the king without being summoned, and that would mean an automatic execution. And she was willing to risk everything to do something on behalf of others. And this is God's call to us. Are we willing to recognize that it's not about us? It's about something that's transcending us. It's not about us. It's about the kingdom. Don't blame me. Look in the mirror. You said it a few minutes ago. Right? You say it most every Sunday. Thy kingdom come, what? Thy will be done. Where? On earth as it is in heaven. Don't get mad at me. Get mad at God. You're saying every week, God, we want your kingdom to come forth, and I want to be on the team. I want to be a part of what makes that happen. I want to be somebody who comes alongside and helps birth your kingdom in this world. But sometimes when we pray these prayers on Sundays or even during the week, I'm wondering... If I'm offending you and stepping on your toes, I'm aiming at your heart, but maybe someone in this room has had a prayer like this in a moment of challenge. God, I know this hadn't happened yet, but I'm going to ask just one more time. Or Lord, if you'll do this one thing, I won't ask for anything again, and then I'll go to church. 
or one that probably transcends all denominations, regardless of how faithful someone attends church or participates in ministry. Lord, you know that I'm not into material things, but if you could help me win the lottery, I'll give 10% of the church. (laughs) And prayers become bargains, where what we literally do is we ask God for something while on the whole We are literally waiting to get something on the return. You see, this is the problem with what's known as the prosperity gospel, right? That, okay, I'm going to give God on deposit. I'm I'm going to, in faith, give God $100 because the televangelist says, oh, by the way, in faith, plant your seed, give $100 and God will give you a thousand back. You're just turning Jesus into a casino operator in Vegas. That's all you're doing. You're saying, if I just put a little faith, let it roll on eight. Is that what you say, Clint? I don't know. Is that what they say? Let it ride or it, something like that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Gary, is that, I know, yeah. Gary, is that, let it ride on eight, right? Or something like that. Seven, seven, seven. Okay. It's like purple and orange or what are the colors? Yeah, you pagans, you know exactly what I'm talking about, right? Look, we all know what I'm talking about. We turn God into a celestial lottery. When what we do is we say, well, I'm going to give, but I'm going to expect to get something back. No, the nature of what Esther's doing, the nature of who Christ is, you don't give expecting to get back. You give because it reflects what you have been blessed with and what you're going to extend yourself to. You don't volunteer your life and your time because of what you're going to get in return. You do it because it's an expression of your understanding that everything comes from God. And if you understand that, it should in some way infect your understanding and lens of the world. But you see, the problem is most of us, since vaccines are a big topic right now in our world, right? Most of us have been vaccinated with generosity. You see, we wanted to get it just enough to feel good and throw something in, but not enough to change our life. Hey, I'm right with you. I know my limits too. I'm going to give until it interferes with my ability to get new golf balls. <laughs> every, one of, every one of us has a habit. Every one of us has a hobby. And every one of us contributes to the place until it becomes uncomfortable. And we tend to say, oh, that, that's, that's enough. I, I think I've done my part. And yet Esther's willing to risk everything. Let me say it this way. To miss what you can do in the kingdom of God because you have been too caught up in your personal kingdom is the greatest challenge to your faithfulness in following Christ. Let me say that again to miss what you can do in the kingdom of God because you, because you have become too caught up in your personal kingdom is the greatest challenge to your faithfulness to Christ. You see, I, I remember growing up and my, my mother would sometimes say, and how often is none of your business, uh, what in heaven's name do you think you're doing? Have you ever heard that? She also said to me, what did you think you were doing? And I said, well, it's not what I think I was doing. It's what did you think I think I was doing? Now, that didn't go so well as a teenager. I didn't drive my truck for a week. So maybe the questions we need to ask ourselves, right, in the sense of God's calling, where God's name ought not be mentioned, where no one says the Holy Spirit spoke to me, but God's voice is speaking and the people around us calling us to be kingdom builders. What on earth am I doing for heaven's sake? What am I doing that matters in the lives of others? What am I doing that matters in the light of eternity? What investments am I making in my time, in my energy, in resources that are going to make a difference when I'm gone? Just yesterday, we were getting the news of the death of Dr. Billy Abraham. Dr. Abraham, 
amazing voice, a hero. He was, I studied under him during my doctorate work at SMU. Dr. Abraham's legacy, just on the heels of his sudden death, has already stretching a long shadow into the future because he invested in people and what he did. And his reach will extend beyond his physical life. That's what we think of in our lives. How can our reach extend? How can we be people like Esther who say, I'm going to go to the king even though it's against the law, and if I perish, I perish. How do we find those moments in our own lives with who we are? Now, two closing things. We're going to wrap this up because I've stepped on your toes. I want you to understand that I believe that when we read Esther, we need to hear two things unequivocally. First, following faithfully is about opportunity, not convenience. Following faithfully is about opportunity, not convenience. And the problem is too often we flip those and we follow wherever it's convenient and comfortable. And yet Jesus never said, take up thy cross and have a nice day. Oh, and don't forget those around Galilee, I've got a bumper sticker for your camel. Or I've got a little wristband for you. Or don't forget to post it on social media. Hey, anybody want a selfie? Jesus said, blessed are you when men revile you and rebuke you and utter all sorts of false things against you because they did the same thing to the prophets. They did it to me and they're going to do it to you. You see, the life of Jesus is not about comfort and convenience. It's about commitment and faithfulness. And we must, if we want to see God's kingdom born on earth, be willing to be like Esther and say, if I perish, I perish, but I'm going to follow and I will be faithful. And the last thing we need to hear is so vital. It almost, it almost stretches back into the last of our series previously about the emphasis of community. Did you see that when, when Esther makes that turning point in her life, do you see what she does? She says to the messenger, which is Hathak, she says, okay, all right, if I perish, I perish, go back to Mordecai and tell him, tell him to the Jews in Susa, Fast for three days, no water, no drink, and I and my attendants will fast as well, and I will do it. You see, Esther leaned into community, and that's why we exist together. We lean into community together because when a time that we need encouragement to move to the places that are not comfortable or convenient, we need to be willing to go together. We need to be encouragers to one another. So when you think about where God's calling you in your life, will you be willing to let God call you out of your comfort zone from the place that you are? Are you willing to remember it's about the opportunity to be a kingdom builder, bringing God's love and grace, and on this side of the resurrection, the presence of Christ, not about convenience? And will you lean in the community to do that? I know the church is filled with lots of, lots of problems. Lots of them get posted. But friends, we've got some really amazing things happening that without you will not happen. Children who were sleeping on the floors of foster care environments who now at least have a place that's a bed in the shower because you're willing to do that. 
Women who come out of prison who have absolutely no place to go are met and said, if you'd like an opportunity to turn your life around, we will walk with you. And it stretches not just within our community, but it stretches all the way around the world as you look at those boxes for Haiti when you could have an impact for a child's life. And sure, you could spend that $75 somewhere else. I know that. You could spend your time somewhere else. And we all know that. But what we're asking you is, in our community, can we be people of commitment and faithfulness and let convenience and comfort drift away so that wherever Christ calls, we are willing to go? Let's pray together. God, thank you for the witness of your scripture Thank you for the amazing witness of faithfulness that we see in Esther and Mordecai. Would you help us to take a priority of our own lives this day as we move from this place and we move about our schedules? We even think about where we're going to have brunch or lunch. What's the rest of the day hold? How's the week going to be? Would you allow us to not be vaccinated with the gospel to get it just enough to feel better But God, can we just get the full-blown virus of the gospel of Jesus Christ in our lives where it overcomes us, determines our decisions, and shapes what we see so we'll be people of commitment and we'll lean into community. For this we pray in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And all of God's people did say, Amen. Our closing hymn of faith in a few moments will be posted on the screen. It's going to be forward through the ages. The opening line is fantastic. It reminds us that we are not the first ones to walk this path, but we join in the great splendor of those who have lived faithfully. Now, remember this, church. When you leave today, nobody's life has been changed because you sat in a pew and you came to church or you had church coffee. It's nothing magical about it. But do you know that the whole world around us can be different if when we leave, we will be the body of Christ in the world? That is what I dare you to be so that the kingdom may become what God desires.